There really are monsters under the bed. Except they aren't haunting entities from another world. Not exactly that. They live in the hauntings of dreams and of nightmares. They live in our memories. I would suggest to you today primarily in two ways. There are family memories. What I've come to describe in the last few years as pet dragons. They are usually kept in the basement. They're not greeting our friends at the door. They're spiritual sicknesses that families not only pass on from one generation to another, but they often nurture the pet dragon. They keep it as a pet in the basement. They think they control it. They think they can control it. I shared with you last week about the men in my family's alcoholism. But it can be a number of generational pet dragons that are passed on from father to son and mother to daughter and so on and so on. It could be a critical spirit. It could be racism. It could be the wounds of racism. Abuse. Past hurts. Spiritual sicknesses caused by various kinds of enslavement in this world. That then usually unwittingly. We keep them chained up in the basement. We think they are our friend. Only because they're so familiar. We think we have them mastered when in fact they are mastering us. These are hard memories to deal with because they're kind of wispy. It's very difficult to track down a generational malady in your family, is it not? You know, my former pianist, she's still the pianist at Liberty Spring Christian Church in Suffolk, Virginia. She was also the pianist at Cypress Chapel when I was there. Such an odd thing. She left that church, went to the other church. We went to Haiti, came back, went to the other church. She's been my pianist forever. Well, she's a genealogist. And after knowing her for so many years, and we knew that in her family heritage there was a Serber. Well, she's really good at this, so she tracked it down. And it turned out, after we'd known each other for years, that she and I were six cousins. Or more specifically, she says we're first cousins six times removed. I don't know what that means. Her husband says anything after first cousin don't matter. That's what he says. So I don't know. I don't know. But the genealogy thing can be quite difficult. Just to figure out where you came from takes a lot of work. To figure out where those pet dragons come from can take a whole lot more work. And it's difficult, and to some extent, maybe it's impossible to ever track them down perfectly as to their origin, but we can see the evidence of them in our lives. This is one way that there really are monsters under the bed. Dragons in the basement that have been kept for years and passed on generationally. These generational curses afflict us and affect us. And while we may not be able to discover with great accuracy the source of those things, if we're cautious and prayerful and we give them a lot of consideration and we look to the Word of God as a right mirror to reflect what we really are, perhaps we can see ourselves under the light of Christ and see the need for redemption in different areas of our lives. 
That critical spirit, it may come from somewhere other than just your bad attitude. That family addiction may come from somewhere else, but the ultimate source of healing is in Christ. There is existential freedom in Christ. This is a word I like to use a lot. Who is uncertain of what the word existential means? See, y'all think you're too smart. You can't. Only one person got the courage to raise their hand. <laughs> Give me a break. Existential. There's a lot of. It can mean a lot of things. But in the context of how I'm using existential, manifest, lived out. Has anyone ever felt like, am I the only one who's so unspiritual so as to sometimes feel like all this Christian stuff is garbly gook that exists somewhere only in the realm of ideas? And you go to church and and you're encouraged and you're inspired and then you go to your own life and you're just like, it's gone and somehow it's not existentially known in your life. It doesn't become a reality. Oh, look at who's here. Praise the Lord. Where is that baby? Huh? He's at home with his dad. Okay, all right. All right. That's a good excuse why dad's not here, too. Praise the Lord. When you get that baby up here and dedicate him soon. I still have the train, I'm just trying to get it back on track. So, there's one way that those monsters, they really do live under the bed. They're back here in the recesses of our mind. They have shaped our thinking to such an extent that we don't even realize they shaped it. Because our thoughts have been so shaped by those generational pet dragons that the dragon is hardly visible. He lives in the basement. Wasn't it the monsters that had a dragon or something in the basement, you know? Try to play like you never watched that show. I watched it as reruns. Some of y'all were waiting for the new episode to come out. I know. Now, what about the second way? So there's these dragons that live in our life, these pet dragons, these generational curses, these attitudes and inclinations, these patterns of thinking that come from previous generations that were passed down to us. There are also memories from our own experience. Now, this is less wispy, and I want to invite you to look inside your bulletin. You'll see this is my outline for these next thoughts. I'm just going to make statements on these, read a passage of Scripture associated with them, and comment briefly. And I want to encourage you to use this as a tool for further consideration. I wonder if anyone, don't raise your hands, I don't want to be disappointed in how few people did it, took a close look at the assignment from last week that was in your bulletin. It's going to be personal work. This sermon series is a lot like a Christian counseling session. It's going to take personal work to make these things matter in each one of our lives. There are memories from our own experience That's what we'll focus on right now. The ways in which we interpret our past experience. The ways we frame our thoughts. Listen, please, listen. Listen. This sermon is not that long. Stay with me. If you have to get up and use the restroom or something, I'm never going to be offended by that. But hear these words. If you are anything like me and you are a desperately broken sinner, it's possible that this thought may be something that can really be used by God to cause a a kind of fork-in-the-road experience for you. And as I say that, I I also want to say this. In the coming months, Christina and I have every intention of offering some of the things that we like to do in churches, some Saturday morning seminars on topics like this, generational curses. 
My doctoral project is a grief share program. It won't be very much longer, and I'll offer something like on a Saturday morning for those who are trying to get free from certain patterns of grief that you're stuck in. But I want your feedback, because perhaps there's like a little six-week group. Somebody really wants to talk about this topic, and Christina and I could lead that have a kind of guided discussion and help one another as iron sharpens iron to deal with some of these things. So I want your feedback. Our memories of the past are not the past. The ways in which we interpret our past experience, the ways we frame them in our thoughts, will determine the extent to which past events control, shape, or unjustly influence us. What I'm talking about here this morning is that biblical notion of taking every thought captive for Christ. You know, January, the boys and I will start our Totally Christian Karate program. It's essentially using warfare. We do some practical self-defense We're not able to do the roundhouse taekwondo kicks necessarily, but we do some of that. But it's essentially using the martial arts as a metaphor for spiritual warfare the way that the Apostle Paul does in Ephesians chapter 6. And I love this idea because the truth is that anyone who's followed after Jesus for any length of time will know that it's a battle to control your thoughts, to allow the gospel to shape the way you really live. The existential realities in your life. To bear fruit for the kingdom. Fight with your mind. Be at war with false interpretations of the past. Our memories can be a wealth of praiseworthy testimony or a pile of rubbish where our struggle is remembered but God's deliverance is forgotten. If you are a human being, then you must know how easy it is for us to focus on the negative aspects and remember those things. It's so easy to only remember the problem and not remember what God did to bring us through it. Memory is a great spiritual battleground. We must be prayerful, careful, and wise how we choose to interpret our past. Memories are not the past. I've been spending a lot of time, probably too much time, the psychology of religion and listening to psychologists and Christian counselors and trying to to, to get to another place. It seems like for the last several years of preaching that there's this thing that I want to see people able to do to really get free from the things that bind them up. And it's not, you know, you can read the Bible and and that's God's tool to transform you. But it's not until we choose to apply it in the ways we really think that we'll see a difference in our lives. Memories are not the past. They are the combination of real events and our interpretation of them. We have an investigator in this church I've been spending some time with lately named Bill. Wonderful guy, married a Canadian. That clearly brought him up in the world, I'm quite certain. (laughs) And uh, talking to him a little bit about investigating and so on. 
You know, it's amazing that if you get a bunch of people together who witnessed a crime, how different their interpretations can be, right? Our memory is not the past. Our memory is facts that actually happened and the ways we chose to interpret them. What I'm suggesting to you today is that if you'll get free from those memories that hold you in bondage, those patterns of thought that, that may keep you trapped in certain ways of thinking that are ungodly, that are unjoyful, that keep us bound in, in, in ways that we want to get free from, that a primary battleground is going to be the memory, how we choose to frame our memories. 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Listen, Christ has slain those dragons already. Past sin, hurts, and enslavement to the memories of them. There is real freedom found in Jesus Christ. And here is a biblical perspective on memories. Take a look at this. You can follow right along. God was in your past. If you hear nothing else today, God was in your past. I don't care how despicable, how painful, how tragic it was. God was in your past. Genesis chapter 50 and verse 20 says this. This is uh, Joseph talking to his brothers. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. Romans 8, 28 says he's working out all things for our good in ways that we can't possibly comprehend. His brothers sold him into slavery. They wanted to kill him. If anybody ever had a, a good reason to be scarred by the pain of the past, to frame his memory negatively, it was him. But he remembered that God was in his past. What you meant for evil, God was working something out for good. It is only to the extent to which I remember that, that I am personally able to offer forgiveness to people who wounded me early in my life. God meant it for good. God meant it for good. Whatever we've been through, it's a part of the telling of our story. And God is telling his story through each one of our lives if we are his children. So whatever we've been through, God meant it for good. He was there. You weren't abandoned in the dark. The light of Christ was shining. The pain may have blinded us to it, but God was there. Forgiveness is found in remembering that God was allowing those circumstances in order to shape us. This is not to trivialize trial, but I really want to puff up sovereignty. Everything that's happening or has happened in our life, God was working out his plan. Joseph recognized something that is a key to taking our thoughts captive for Christ. God was in our past. He was abandoned to a bigger picture of divine grace. God is in the pain. Look at what God accomplished at the cross, the most despicable event in human history. Deicide, the creation killing the creator. God was in our past. There poured out was blood and hope. The water that flowed from his side representing the baptism that brings us into communion with God. God was in your past, no matter what it was. God's plan is better than our poorly constructed, limited view. God's plan is bigger than our immediate happiness. Even in the most desperate of circumstances, God is there. And His love is ever-present in our pain. 
Point number two on this biblical perspective on memories. Reframe it. Reshape it. Your past does not control your future. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. The ultimate promise of Scripture is that one day Christ shall return. And that promise means that our hope is anchored to the future, not to the past. Do you understand? Listen, the goodness of God that shall one day be existentially realized will be made manifest completely in the return of Jesus. That is our source of hope. You don't have to remain tethered to the pain of the past. We are anchored to the hope of the future. That is the gospel message, that Christ died for sinners to set them free. And then one day that freedom shall be fully realized, so you don't have to stay stuck petting the pet dragon in the basement. No, the chain is broken. He's dead. And new hope has come. God's future controls our future. Our past does not control today. Point number three, your memories result from our interpretation of our past. Hear this. Psalm 78.11. Don't pay attention that it's 11.29. We'll be done soon enough. Just pay attention. Stay with me. Stay with me. 15 minutes ain't going to kill you. Are the Lions even playing football today? And if they were, are they really playing football? (laughs) Are you really missing much? I'm not even a Lions fan. I was going to try to be. No. You got got any other football teams in Michigan? The Wolverines or somebody else. Okay. All right, stop. Or the Spartans. I don't want to start that whole thing. Our memories result from our interpretation of the past. Psalm 78.11 says, They forgot his works and the wonders that he had shown them. They forgot his works and the wonders that he had shown them. The real battle is for the mind. The real battle is taking place in our memories and the way that we shape them. The way that we frame them. I tried to protect the walls in my office and I put up this picture that I love. Uh, these two handwritten sermon notes from Charles Spurgeon, and uh, it had museum-quality glass on it. And I put them up with command strips, and clearly not enough. And this heavy, heavy frame fell down, and the glass busted everywhere. I had framed these beautiful things in a beautiful frame. Now, because of economics, I'm considering some plexiglass to go back in there, and it'll be lighter, and maybe they'll stay on the wall. Who takes a beautiful thing and puts it in a cheap frame? I I do sometimes. Dollar Tree, just saying. But something of real value, ought you not to frame it properly if you would display it? Be cautious how we frame the goodness of God in our lives. Pain was present in our past, but God was there also. Finally, these last three points. The marks of a redeemed memory. Here's some ways you can know that you're getting a hold of this in your life. Now, point number one, deepening repentance. Romans 6.21 says, But what fruit were you getting at the time from the things which you are now ashamed? The further we go along in cultivating a proper understanding of our mind as a battleground of remembrance of the goodness of God rather than becoming slaves to past memories of hurt and pain, 
will have a growing sense of repentance. And commensurate with that will be a growing sense of repentance that doesn't lead to shame. It leads to pure joy. You see, that, that's a great test. It's not a shameful thing to come on bended knee before God. It, it, it's a bridge across which we kind of walk like on our knees, like, God, I'm not worthy of you. And then he lifts us up. And so the deeper we dive into repentance, the higher we'll grow in joy of the knowledge of how much he loves us. Thomas Watson, the Puritan pastor, wrote, Godly sorrow goes deep like a vein which bleeds inwardly. The heart bleeds for sin. They were pricked in their hearts in Acts 2.37. As the heart bears chief part in sinning, so it must sorrow. Regret without repentance will keep you anchored in the past. Regret without repentance will keep you anchored in the past. Regret without repentance will keep that pet dragon owning you and me. Regret without repentance will keep us anchored in the past. But repentance will lead to joy if we come and bring our sin to God honestly and earnestly. Secondly, heightened gratitude. These are marks of a redeemed memory. 1 Timothy 1.15 says, The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the first, the foremost. Through gratitude, we can reshape our minds. There's a little notion. I'm just going to plant a, a seed of thought in your mind today, and we're going to talk about it next week, called brain plasticity. Our memories aren't yet concrete. Through living a life of gratitude and service, we can reshape who we are. No matter how old you are, if you're 107, if you're an 89-year-old on her first mission trip, you're too old to do something for the Lord? I don't know about that. You too young to learn gratitude? Brain plasticity. God has woven in a healing power, not only into our body, bodies when we cut ourselves, but into our minds. When we are enslaved to false thinking, we can yet get free. And lastly, broader effectiveness in helping others. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Apostle writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, who comforts us in our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. Listen, there is this notion of growth through service that I want you to give some consideration to this week, if you would. Take this thing home. Take a look at it. There's a lot here. I've done my best to limit this sermon to less than an hour and a half. And I've effectively done that. Listen, I want to encourage you this way today. Take your thoughts captive. Reshape your memory. Our memory are not the past events. They're a combination of real facts and how we chose to interpret them. Interpret them through the lens of God's sovereign grace and thereby find freedom. You know, my favorite movie out of all time probably is Heartbreak Ridge. Anybody ever seen Heartbreak Ridge? It's one of Clint Eastwood's finest films. You don't, you don't think so? They show it on Broadway. It's a fine film. Uh, listen, in this, in this movie, there's a portion where Clint Eastwood's character, Gunny Highway, comes across a group of ragtag Marines. They're undisciplined. They're doing the wrong things. At one point in the film, I, I love what he says. He says, you're going to dress like Marines. You're going to act like Marines. You're going to march like Marines. You're going to do everything like Marines. 
And one day you're going to be Marines. Listen, we're not going to get free from the generational curses that enslave us or the pet dragons that we've managed to accumulate in our own experience and life until we start to walk in freedom. We start to act like we're free. We start to live like we're free. It may be that you have a hard time mustering up a real great sense of gratitude. Start serving others who are in more desperate situations than we were ever in. Find growth through service. Find grace through gratitude. There is real freedom at the cross. It is available for us. And the battlefield begins in the mind. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you, God, today. Lord, I thank you for the beautiful and wonderful gift that we have in your word. The power to reshape and reframe and restore. God, today, won't you help each one of us to know those areas in our lives that need to be reframed those memories of the past that need to be reframed, reshaped. Gracious and everlasting God, won't you, by way of the power of the Holy Spirit, residing in your children, do that work which only you can do. Grant us the ability to get free from those dragons. We thought they were our pets. Help us to get free from them and walk in the freedom that is found only in Jesus Christ. God, today we praise you in his name. Amen.